This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going? Very well, Al. Happy to be back with you once again. Yes, a busy week. SummerSlam is this Saturday, one of the biggest WWE shows uh, of the year. And, and I'd say kind of feels like it uh, this year, certainly with big marquee match uh, matches really uh, on top. you got a football stadium in Las Vegas. Um, so all, I don't want to exaggerate too much, but almost a WrestleMania kind of feel. Uh, so we'll break down uh, the card, really focusing on, on the key matches in just a moment. Um, also talk a bit about the passing of Bobby Eaton. Um, I guess that now it's been a couple of weeks. It's the first time we've had to talk uh, since uh, it happened and kind of his wrestling legacy. Um, CM Punk is, I, I, I guess we don't want to... Uh, you know, say too much, but the expectation certainly is that he uh, is going to be debuting pretty soon for AEW. We'll talk about um, what that could mean for AEW and and not just Punk, but a lot of more moving pieces in recent weeks. That was pretty much a subject of the last podcast. And since then, you know, many more dominoes uh, have fallen. Uh, Ric Flair showing up at the AAA show um, in Mexico um, with his daughter uh, in the front row. So uh, lots going on. And uh, later on, the person who uh, is reporting a lot of this news for the first time, Dave Meltzer, uh, the one and only, I've got an interview with him in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and you were going to hear a portion of that interview, actually uh, exclusive. Uh, we spoke for so long that uh, only a portion of the interview got in the magazine. So uh, what you're going to be hearing uh, here later on this podcast is exclusive to the podcast. And uh, we talk on all kinds of subjects, the release of Bray Wyatt, our thought of, of kind of how Bray Wyatt fits into the wrestling business, sort of the evolution of, of the wrestling business and something Brian, you and I have talked about, um, whether you start to feel like um, kind of left out, like, is this this business left me behind with all the changes it's gone through? Um, so I had that conversation with Dave and uh, just a lot of fun. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, the hot seat interview uh, is available in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I got mine over the weekend. You get yours yet in, in your mailbox? I did. I got it a couple days ago. Very excited to see it because I have my big, not that I only care about my own articles, of course, <laughs> but I have my big uh, Roman Reigns and The Rock cover story, which I pitched myself and I'm super proud of on the cover there. Yeah, we might see maybe some some seeds planted, some more steps taken in that direction uh, at SummerSlam. Uh, so as Brian mentioned, the cover story, uh, looking at the iconic battle we must see, but when will we see it? Uh, the Rock and, Rock and uh, Roman. Uh, and also in here, we've got the 2021 PWI Reader's Poll, um, looking at 50 questions um, involving the wrestling business. Uh, me and Kristen put that together. Uh, as I mentioned, the hot seat with Dave Meltzer, we've got... Um, so much more uh, in here, and uh, the place to go is pwi-online.com to pick it up. And you know what? Just before the show, I went there, and it's got a completely new look. So if for nothing else, head over there to see our uh, completely overhauled uh, new website. And uh, I think a lot more sort of user-friendly, uh, a lot more features right here uh, on the front page. Um, we've got uh, links to our YouTube channel, to the podcast to back issues, uh, some featured articles, 
uh, featured story from uh, the latest issue. So uh, absolutely go to pwi-online.com and um, whether you want to pick up the one issue or subscribe, you could save half off the cover price uh, by doing that. If you go with the digital edition, uh, you'll have it uh, a lot quicker. Uh, you know, we just got ours in the mailbox, a print issue, probably a little bit, while, uh, little bit before it's on newsstands. Uh, but if you were a digital subscriber, you would have had it um, already for some time. So please go to pwi-online.com and check it out uh, while you're there. I think you'd follow us also on uh, social media. All our links to all our social media are here. Instagram, Twitter, at OfficialPWI, our YouTube, our Facebook. Uh, links to where to pick up uh, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated line of t-shirts at Pro Wrestling uh, Tees um, and whatamaneuver.net. And uh, so much more. So, again, pwi-online.com is uh, the place to go. You can also send us emails here at pwipodcast at outlook.com and pwi at kappapublishing.com. Uh, if it I feels like I'm feeding through these, it's because uh, I really want to get into the, the conversation. Lots to talk about. Uh, Brian, what were you saying? No, I just want to say I, I love the new look of the website. I really, right. really, yeah. truly do. I, I had been hoping for that for a long time. I mean, I love, you know, 90s nostalgia as much as the next guy. But, uh, you know, <laughs> website that, that's from the 90s, not so much. So right now it's awesome and amazing and people should definitely check it out. It, it really looks cool. Yeah, definitely more of, of a modern look. I know that this was a priority for uh, Kevin when he came over as our editor-in-chief uh, last year. And, yeah, absolutely. I think um, – yeah, a lot more sort of user-friendly, a lot more modern. So I was thinking about that that rock and Roman cover story, and it's funny. I'm looking at it and leading into SummerSlam, and I could almost hear like Vince McMahon screaming in my ear because one of his things was always like, you know, I've got this big, Ro you know, Roman Reigns and Cena match that we're trying to push, and you're <laughs> yeah. about the rock. You know, you're killing me here, man. This match, you know, I don't even know when this is going to happen, and blah blah blah. <laughs> that that would be like the voice in my head, like, why are we pushing the rock right now? It's all about Cena, you know. And then I have to remind myself, oh wait, I'm not at WWE magazine. <laughs> I do what I want to do. Okay, yeah. Do you catch yourself sometimes still using like, uh, or not using certain words that that were. Uh prohibited in wwe belt wrestling all that stuff i don't do that although i know people that that do that used to work there that still write about wrestling but what i do which i always have to stop myself is i sometimes will still be in the mode of like being the shill you know like yeah. there's a difference between like being a wrestling writer and being like a shameless shill like i can talk about how I'm excited for Roman and 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 Rock, but like if I was at WWE, I would have to be talking about how it was the most anticipated match in the history of the business and the greatest match of all time and the two greatest superstars in WWE hit, like all that kind of stuff. And sometimes I have to break myself out of that to be a little more like obviously you know wrestling is 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 illusion and we're having fun, but to not be like I'm trying to sell something, you know what I mean? It's a little right. different. That's what I have to try not to do a lot of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, when, when dealing with WWE, I will still, it, it's almost just to kind of avoid the hassle uh, of like being corrected. I'll, I'll say superstars and stuff like that. And sometimes I have, I almost feel dirty saying, <laughs> but I it's like, weird. all right, I'll, I'll speak your language. I do sometimes feel a little weird writing wrestler because that was something yeah. that was beaten out of me. The other thing that 
I am actually I, I enjoy doing almost spitefully is <laughs> that I can type the letters WWF when it's when it's relevant to the story. Yeah. Or, or WWF, because, you know, as, as anybody knows, if you if you look at WWE stuff, even historically, they will always say WWE, you know, on anything new because of you know the World Wildlife Fund. So the, the, I, I had a I had to deal with that for so many years of like. You know, calling you know Bob Backlund a former WWE champion, and it always felt weird to me. But uh, so now, I, I my rule is always I will use the letters that were relevant at the time that something took place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much what I follow. It's probably worth a conversation with Kevin about what uh, style is on that, the official PWI style on on that. Uh, but I think that's kind of what what makes sense. Call it the WWF when it was the WWF, right? Uh, but but when you get into like those early two thousands, you sort of forget. Like, all right, when when did it? What was it? Two thousand three? It was it was March two thousand two. <laughs> two okay, so I'm a year off. Yeah, I can tell you because that was right when I got my first uh, magazine that they let me edit from top to bottom, and I was so angry because it was the first magazine that didn't have the name WWF in it. And at the time, you know, we're uh, so we're so used to it now. But at the time, it was it felt so wrong. It was like yeah. it was like changing the name of like Coca Cola or something. It just sounded terrible. Yeah. And I remember like I was in a state of denial. I was like, no, no, I'm putting WWF in here. I don't care <laughs> if Vince doesn't like it. He could tell me to my face to take it out. Like I was really mad about it. They had to talk me off the ledge. I, I remember that. Yeah, it. I, I don't know. That's still. I mean, I guess you just get used to it. But uh, at the time, I remember just thinking it sounds so kind of like. Wussy, we, you know, well, someone else with a lot of people were saying that, like WWF, it sounds official. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, what I what I didn't like about it. But again, now it's like whatever that that ship has sailed. It look the, the corporate name of the company, you know, they had already gotten rid of Titan Sports. So the corporate name of the company was WWF Entertainment. That was like what the stock was called. And so right. when they changed the name, they just got rid of the F. And I felt like that was completely giving up even the pretense that you're trying to pretend this is like a sports league or like a body of like like a like a you know like a, a governing body you're basically just admitting that this is just an entertainment company it's like disney or something you know i i did think the whole uh a campaign get the f out was brilliant i mean i, I, I know the I, guy I, came up with it I, I his name's mike foley i want to give him a shout out i don't know if he's listening he does not get the credit he deserves he was in creative services uh, he's also the guy that invented the raw deal card game, if people remember that. Mm -hmm. But he came up with that, get the F out. He said it in a meeting, and everybody was floored. And they were like, that's what we're going with. That's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to sell it. Get the F out. Yeah, that's it great. Was the best thing about it. <laughs> yeah, whenever I think about that, and, and, and not knowing that, I always thought, I bet you that was mentioned at a meeting, and yep. that guy got like a standing yeah, ovation. it was. You're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that that kind of moment. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, let, let's talk about something. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, less happy. The passing of, of Bobby Eaton. Uh, we got word, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago uh, now. And uh, it's interesting, you know. Not long ago, we were talking about uh, Paul Orndorff, and, and when you get one of these really notable wrestling deaths, uh, it's certainly worth discussing. But Bobby Eaton, you know, a Paul Orndorff or like a King Kong Bundy, that kind of guy, kind of guy, um, when he dies, because they were part of that. Um, 80s rock and wrestling uh, era, you know, you see some mainstream news. Eaton is certainly not that kind of guy. But among wrestling fans, 
um, the reaction was was overwhelming. Um, and he is one of those guys that unless you really are a, a wrestling fan and a certain kind of wrestling fan to a certain level, you, you might not get it. He, he's the kind of guy that, you know, if I showed a, a picture to, to one of my brothers or friends who's not a wrestling fan of this guy, sort of pudgy, bad mullet, you know, uh, uh, very pale, um, they wouldn't get it at all. But if you uh, if you live through Bobby Eaton and you saw his work, um, you know why wrestlers in particular held him in such high regard. I mean, he really was um, kind of the, the gold standard of um, certainly work in, in the ring. Um, what, what are your memories of Bobby Eaton? Well, I mean, it goes without saying, you know, he was how he's best remembered and best known is he was the heart and soul of what I would call still, my opinion, the greatest working tag team of all time, which was the Midnight Express. And you could almost go with either of the incarnations he was in, the Dennis Condry version or the Stan Lane version. I'm a little partial to the Stan Lane version. Yeah, but he was he was like the glue that held it together, you know, and 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 and, and he also did amazing stuff like. You can look up singles matches he had with Ric Flair. I mm -hmm. mean, there's one that's floating around on YouTube from 1990 where it's like it is the level that you would expect from a Ric Flair NWA world title match. And he is hold more than holding his own, more than holding his own. And I mean, like you said, he he to look at him or to hear him and everything, you would think like, what's the big deal specifically because look, no one would disagree with this. Even Jim Cornette himself, who was his manager and closest friend for many years said he was not WWF material. He was not the kind of guy that Vince would look at and go, this guy's a star. You know, he didn't have the look that was needed at that time. He couldn't really talk, but when the bell rang, that's the thing. Like he was one of the greatest of all time. And if people don't, if people think that's ridiculous, like watch some of his stuff, you know, I, people have said this, I'm not the only person to say it, but when you watch his stuff, not only does it hold up, you could totally see him hanging today with the best of them. Like he was yeah. that, he was that good. The, 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 you know, the, the crispness of everything he did, the speed of it, especially for the time, the selling everything. It was like it. He was like some kind of a savant. Like you look at him and go like, who is this guy? And then the bell rings and it's like you're watching one of the greatest matches you've ever seen. And, and he's the main reason why, you know? Yeah, yeah. That that era you talked about 1990, that's kind of when um, I first started seeing a Bobby in because growing up uh, in New York, in WWF ter territory, not having cable. Uh, I was a WWF fan. I was, you know, not really a Hulkamaniac, but, but you grew up on the WWF brand of wrestling where, um, with few exceptions, work rate was not a priority. It was about the characters and, and the storylines and, and all of that. And so when I first started watching, um, WCW was around, uh, uh, 1990 and kind of around, I guess it was more 91 when he started getting his singles push. And, uh, I think, I mean, it might be the first, Bobby Eaton match I saw around there was when he won the TV title. But I remember, uh, again, even not being familiar with kind of what a good wrestling match was uh, as a little kid, recognizing that when Bobby Eaton was in the ring, um, something was happening. It was better. You were going to be more entertained uh, bell to bell than almost anything uh, else. And, and I remember that match uh, against Flair and... Uh, knowing Flair was a legend and again, seeing this kind of like 
pudgy uh, mullet guy uh, and thinking, wow, like that was a match. And, um, you know, and it's hard to put your finger on it. I mean, certainly one thing, uh, he, he was great with the aerial stuff. I remember being blown away by the Alabama Jam um, when, you know, aerial wrestling it was nothing, obviously, like like what it is uh, today. But but the other thing that you really hear from him, and I've watched a lot of in the last couple of weeks since his passing, um, kind of with an observant eye, is his selling, right? I mean, um, he was just a terrific, terrific uh, seller in wrestling. And it's so interesting because it really convinces you that some people are just born with this stuff. You know, it's like he would there were times where they tried to sort of recruit him as a trainer. I think he was even brought to NXT briefly and uh, Cornette would try to use him in OVW. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. And it never quite worked out because he could not explain it. You know, he could just do it. Uh, it was he was a very unassuming guy. I met him one time at the last Brian Pillman Memorial Show in 2001. Very quiet, exactly what you'd expect. Like, you know, you would never think that this guy had all this incredible skill. He just knew how to do it. And if you asked him to explain it, he would have a hard time explaining it because he just knew. Like, like he didn't even – he did not train heavily. Like, this is a known fact. He wasn't a guy who was constantly in the gym. He had good conditioning, obviously, but he wasn't, like, pumping weights and things. He really wasn't. And he wasn't – you know, even his training, if, if you read about how he broke into the business, like, he started out in Tennessee – setting up the ring for Nick Goulas in the Nashville area, just as a teenage fan. And they would see him in the ring, like playing around with his friends as a teenager and be like, Oh my God, this guy, we need to put this kid on TV. Like we, we need to like maybe smarten him up a little bit and put him on TV. Like he was just naturally good without needing to be taught almost anything. And and that's almost literally true. It's really incredible. And like you said too, even the later, um, WCW stuff. He made a great tag team with Arn Anderson. They were amazing. Sure. Um, and I know, Dangerous you know, Alliance. yeah, it's part of the whole yeah, dangerous, dangerous Alliance. Great work there. Yeah. He even had, I mean, you know, it's, it's tough now, but he, he had a great tag team with Chris Benoit for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a great tag team, of course, with Lord Steven Regal. That was really, yeah, push yeah. the blue bloods even there. And the, even the, like the later guys like Regal and even Goldberg, they respected him so much in WCW because he he was there for about 15 years from the Crockett days into the WCW days like Cornette and Condry and Lane were long gone and he was still there. And you had these new era WCW guys. Even they were asking to work with him. There was a story going around that Goldberg wanted him to end his streak. No. He, yes, he they shot it down. But Goldberg wanted that. Because he respected him so much and he thought it would really help him out because he wanted to like, like help him get a push. And they were like, no, we can't really do that. You know, we're not really doing anything with him, but he wanted, he wanted it. Yeah. I was looking up some of his latter stuff and, and, uh, I'd say unfortunately, but also understandably, um, where he was at that point, he was the guy who would, um, be brought in to help get new, get new guys over. Uh, I saw a match on, on YouTube with him and the kiss demon, uh, which was, you know, essentially a, a three-minute squash. That's kind of where he was um, at that point. And again, I guess it's sort of understandable. Um, but, you know, I, I think um, a lot is made of his his limitations. And I think they were real in terms of uh, aesthetics and all that. 
but you mentioned uh, the Blue Bloods and the the angle with with uh, Regal, and I was watching um, some of the the skits building up to that, and it was one of the times where he was kind of called on to do sort of the sports entertainment thing, and I thought he was great. I thought he like totally got it, you know, and he had a certain role to play there and had to hit a certain tone. And it was kind of like this, um, this aw shucks kind of hillbilly. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, My Fair Lady, essentially, with, with um, <laughs> Bobby Eaton. And yeah. I thought he hit it out of the park. I thought he was he was so good in that. Yeah, because they played to his strength. You know, it was like, it, it was, it didn't require him to do something that he wouldn't be comfortable doing and it partly worked well you know because you could tell regal was having so much fun and i know like regal he's another one who had specifically requested to work with him because he knew how much he could learn from him like that's who he was and and another thing to say too like especially about the midnight express and how he always made everything work they could everybody remembers you know their matches with the rock and roll express that's what they're the most remembered for but i mean they could work with almost anybody like i remember i recently rewatched. Uh, one of the early Starcades, I think it was either 84 or 85. It was, I think it was 85 because that's when they were there. And it was Midnight Express, Condry and Eaton versus um, Jim Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant, who is not known to be the greatest worker, right? And his tag team partner was Miss Atlanta Lively, who is Ronnie Garvin in drag, if anybody <laughs> remembers, right? Ronnie Garvin in a dress and a wig. And I am telling you, if you don't believe me, go and find it. It's on Peacock. It's one of the best tag team matches you will ever see. And Bobby Eaton is a big reason why. Like, it's crazy how good a match like that was. And it shows how they really could have a great match with anybody. They were like the tag team version of Ric Flair. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a few weeks before that, he lost his wife. So uh, certainly a very hard time. For his family and people who knew him and loved him, and uh, we send our condolences, and uh, absolutely go on Peacock if you can get it to work and uh, just dig around and and uh, find uh, Bobby and stuff. Certainly on YouTube too, and uh, you you won't be disappointed. Uh, let's talk a little bit about SummerSlam coming up uh, this Saturday. Uh, again, what what is supposed to be one of the biggest shows of the years? A lot of years it hasn't felt that way. This year, um, at least at at the very top, they really loaded it up with a, a marquee match that that I'd say is you know bigger even than what they offered at WrestleMania this year. When you're talking about the return of John Cena, who is now a huge movie star, have you seen a uh, Suicide Squad? I did. I did. My wife and I just watched it a couple of days ago. I really liked it, and and DC movies typically are, are pretty terrible. I thought this was the best of the bunch, and I thought Cena was great. Then, yeah, he, uh, you know, I I liked the movie. I didn't love it. I don't want to turn it into a movie review uh, <laughs> podcast, but I had my issues with it. But Cena was not one of them. I actually thought he was one of the best things in it. I, I thought his character was so cool because he kind of walked the line between good and bad. And like, you like him for a while and then you don't like him anymore. Like it's, it's almost like a wrestling angle, you know, <laughs> I don't want to yeah. give any spoilers away, but like he does this interesting twist that, you know, he was really good. You know, he's, he's yeah. no Dwayne yeah. Johnson, but he's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, clearly a really kind of top heavy show. I'll, I'll go through the card as, as we know it now, a lot of it was uh, put together last night on uh, raw uh, so Alexa Bliss and Eva Marie was thrown together. That's kind of an odd one. Uh, AJ Styles and Omos versus uh, Orton and, and Riddle. I think there's an appetite for that. I, I think Orton and, and Riddle are, have gotten over pretty well as a tag team and fans are into them. Uh, Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal. Kind of a weird, you know, 
it 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 should mean more because they are two former WWE champions. Um, but it just doesn't feel like like a whole lot. But but you give them credit for for building it over the last few weeks. Um, Sheamus and Damian Priest, Usos and Mysterios for the tag title. Uh, Edge and Seth Rollins, which is a big match. Um, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. I guess we'll see. Um, you know that one uh, seems to be kind of up in the air with both of them uh, missing a few shows over the the last few weeks. And I don't think there's been much of a public explanation, but I think people are are putting two and two together. Uh, in a pandemic and, and kind of figuring out what, what might be going on at least. Um, and then the two uh, world title matches, Bobby Lashley and Goldberg. And of course, John Cena, uh, and I'm sorry, I missed one, Nikki Ash versus Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley. And then um, Cena versus Reigns. Let, let's spend a little time uh, talking about uh, Cena versus Reigns. Um, chatting a little bit before we went on, it looks like we have kind of different viewpoints about uh, the, the buildup uh, of this match. I've, I've liked the mic work. I thought on Friday night, uh, Cena and Reigns felt uh, organic, uh, but real, you know, uh, listening to some of the Jeff Jarrett uh, podcasts in recent weeks, and they've been kind of talking about WCW, early 2000s WCW, and the garbage that Vince Russo was doing, trying to create like these work shoots. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it almost never works, or I could say never works, but I think this works, you know, because they've been able to ride that line between uh, the, the the show, the performance aspect of, of pro wrestling, and then kind of the, the I wasn't crazy about the Nikki Bella stuff, but but I thought both of them um, were touching a nerve um, with the other one. I, I don't believe that they necessarily really think that, but I think they put together promos that you could believe that they really think, and um, I I really liked it. I'm well, I'll I'll preface it by saying that. I have liked the stuff they've been doing on the mic. I think they're, it, they're both really good at it. This is a reminder of how good John Cena is. He he doesn't always get enough credit for that. I think you've said that before, where it's like, you know, he's one of the great promo guys. And, um, you know, he showed it again. I don't know how much of it was sort of like bullet points or how heavily scripted, but it did seem like they were just building on each other. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to think of something that's going to get this guy. And really get them. I love the thing about this, you know, bars of soap for teeth. I just because I've been yeah. thinking that <laughs> yeah. came back. So I'm glad he did that. But I will say, and it's a big one for me, is I felt, and this is what I think we were talking about, is I feel like um, I needed something more than just these great promos. And, and I, I go back and forth on this because I understand where some people come from, where they're like, if you have this kind of star power in a match, that sells itself. You don't need to have like an overproduced angle or storyline or something, you know, something like the mega powers, uh, you know, with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, where the, yeah, they're two massive stars, but they had a beef. They had a, they had an angle. I, I feel like this needed something. I, I don't know about something at that level, you know, but some kind of personal issue between the two of them without it coming across as hokey that just would give it a little more heat. And I don't quite know what, but something more than just, throwing insults at each other about like who's better than whom and like who's the bigger icon or whatever. I feel like that that gets done a lot and it feels lazy to me when they do that. They're like, we have these two giant names. Let's just put them in a ring and be like, wow, could you believe these two guys are in a ring together? Like I need a little more. And I don't know what people were asking me, like, how would you do it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's a million different things. I, I don't get paid to write for them, but I know like off the top of my head, I don't know. Seth Rollins name got dropped. 
to big effect in that promo, right? Imagine if he somehow became a part of this. Like maybe he takes Roman's side uh, and it's almost like a semi-shield thing. Maybe he goes on Cena's side and there's, there's just something brewing that feels more than just talking. And I know like Cena's involvement is limited and I don't expect him to have like a bunch of matches. And I certainly wouldn't want them to have a match before SummerSlam. I think that spoils it. But there's got to be something. I mean, I don't know. Have Paul Heyman like sabotage his next movie deal. I don't know. Something. <laughs> there's to be something where you're like, oh, these guys really want to get at each other. And I'm not feeling that right now. I, I really totally, totally disagree with you uh, more than usual because I feel like the, the, the inclination is what you're describing. And, and WWE actually does that more than they don't. And, and I think about the other matches that um, – over the years that have been, and, and, and you write about uh, a lot of them in the new magazine, like kind of these uh, iconic generational clashes. And I think at times their inclination has been to add something to the mix and it's felt unnecessary. Uh, I think back to The Rock and Hogan. And I think what people remember for the buildup of that match was that, you know, that, that showdown face-to-face -face on Raw where, uh, you know, how about one more WrestleMania match against The Rock brother or whatever. And uh, that, to me, was, I don't want to say all you need, but I think that that was the, the foundation, the core of this epic match. What they didn't need was Hogan driving a, a truck into the, what, what was it? I remember a car crash backstage, and I feel like that's usually the go-to. It's like, well, why don't we throw a car crash in there? Or um, another one that comes to mind uh, was The Rock and Austin at um, WrestleMania 17, right? This was, I think, the best of, of the three matches, the best WrestleMania ever. And if and they actually ended up abandoning this. But if you remember, for weeks, it was about Deborah, And it was um, uh, almost like this love triangle with The Rock and, and Austin, Austin's wife at the time. Deborah. it felt unnecessary. They seemed to kind of become aware of that and they pulled it and yet yeah, you didn't need it. And I think when you are dealing with kind of like these generational classes, clashes of the greatest of one era versus the greatest of um, the other era, I do think it needs to be about legacies. And um, that doesn't mean you can't have an angle, you can't have an attack, something like that. Uh, but but not only do I, I think it's enough to leave it um, about legacies, but I actually think adding too much to it waters it down because then it just becomes kind of another WWE main event. I mean, um, your idea of to, to get Seth Rollins involved, that I mean, I, to me, that almost lowers it a level because then it's just kind of standard WWE fare, something that uh, Seth Rollins. Now, that's not to say that everything they've done is a home run, but I, I like that, you know, John Tina's view is I left here. They kind of gave the keys to Roman Reigns and. He's crapped the bed. Now, you could argue whether, you know, WWE should be out there saying that and, and uh, whether it's good business to, to be saying that. But it's true. Uh, certainly uh, before before Reigns turned heel, it, it didn't work. It, it, it was an experiment that failed. And I like Reigns really saying um, I, I really like this a lot putting over Cena huge, saying, you know, I could come out here and, and trash talk you, but no, you're one of the greatest of, uh, of all time. And that's what a good heel does, right? Because then when, when you beat him, you didn't just beat a scrub, you, you beat one of the greatest of all time. But I also like Reigns kind of make, you know, maybe they, they've taken it, you know, one joke too many about the missionary stuff, but the idea that 
Cena is bland, kind of old news. Um, Overstate is welcome. Uh, I, I, I don't have much to criticize at all about the buildup to this. Yeah, and, you know, I did say I kind of go back and forth on this. So, I mean, I do want to – that's one of the things. I, I hesitate because I'm not looking for, like like I said, like something that's really going to seem, like, really corny and unnecessary and, like, you know, I understand that. I, I don't think – and I'm just having a hard time putting my finger on it. I, I just wish it was something more than just promos. I don't know what, and, and I don't necessarily need one to be having an affair with the other's wife or anything like that, but, <laughs> yeah. but something that would just make it a little more heated. Like it feels too much like they're just, you know what it is? They're trying to prove something. I mean, the characters, but they don't really seem to hate each other. Like they're just trying to prove who's better. And maybe I've just been too conditioned and trained by WWE booking to feel like that's not quite enough. And I know they've done it before. You know, yeah, you're right. This feels very much to me like what happened with Rock and Cena, where it was very similar, where it was we're going to get in the ring and make fun of each other and get the crowd to laugh at how we're insulting each other. And maybe it's because I feel like, well, they did that already. And The Rock, they did it already. And Cena was one of the guys doing it then. So, I don't know. That's one of the reasons why I was hoping for something just slightly different. Again, not not cornball, not like overproduced WWE kind of stuff necessarily. But something that makes me think that they really don't like each other. I do like the insults they've been throwing at each other. Even the Nikki Bella stuff because it does give me that impression. Like, it makes you sort of think, wow, I wonder if these guys really do have a thing like that happened with rock and cena too if you remember way back when like he called the rock out for having notes written on his hand yeah the rock was legit pissed off at that um and it does make you think i guess there is a little bit of a of a con of like a little personal contest going on here i like that do you have any reason to believe and and i just think about this because you mentioned um uh rock and and cena and uh, there was no love lost there, right? I mean, there was no secret. Those two guys um, at, at one time really didn't like each other. Uh, but but do you have any reason to think that any of that exists between Roman Reigns and John Cena? I mean, I could be drawing a blank. I've never really heard anything to indicate that. I, I mean, other than the usual kind of like people jockeying for spots and for positions. And I mean, one thing about Cena is that he was kind of known. And again, look, I mean, I didn't see things with my own eyes, but he was, he had that reputation for being the kind of person that was friendly to your face and then kind of politicking behind the scenes in a way that, you know, fans necessarily wouldn't expect from him because he comes across so likable. Um, that, that has been said about him. I mean, it's possible that Roman Reigns was a victim of that, but I tend to doubt it because they seem to be like at the time that Reigns was on the ascendancy, Cena was really, uh, kind of on the way out. Like Cena was no longer the go-to main event guy every time out by the time that Reigns was getting that push. So I don't know. I, I I'm guessing this is more just them trying to replicate that rock Cena heat without it necessarily actually existing. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of the tactic? You don't see this a lot, but Cena's promo on, on Friday night, basically the crux of it was, um, yes, I'm, I'm going to sell for you the whole match. You know, you're, you're going to beat the crap out of me, but I'm going to get the pinfall, you know? Uh, and it's interesting because so much, you know, wrestling and combat sports, you, 
typically at its best is sold um, by the notion of of wanting one guy to beat up the other guy. Right? I'm get my when I get my hands on you, I'm just gonna tear you apart. And if anything, a lot of times the the message, certainly from a babyface, is you know even if I lose, you know, you're gonna leave there really hurt and damaged. And this was kind of the opposite of Cena sort of like conceding. Um, you know, you're gonna be the you you're gonna beat the crap out of me. Uh, but I'm going to get the pinfall. Uh, do you do you think that's what do you think of of that as as a tactic to sell a match? It was clever because I think there's two ways to to really read that right. There's the inside way, and there's the way that an average fan might read it. And my initial takeaway from it, which was his way of saying, you know, obviously this is going to be an even back and forth match. We all know that. No one thinks I'm going to squash you. Like you are going to beat the crap out of me. But I'm still going to win. You know what I mean? Like, I took it at that level. Like, yeah, I'm going to take everything you have. I'm going to take the Superman punch. I'm going to take the spear. And I'm still going to come back and win. Like, I feel like you, you can read it that way. It doesn't necessarily have to be, although I think it's there for the people that are, you know, kind of smart enough to be like him saying, well, yeah, I'm going to sell for you and I'm going to bump for you. But we all know who's going to go over, you know, without really saying that. I don't think it was harmful because I do think there's the other way to take it. Um and I was also thinking, too, about the, the situations where there's real beef, like like with Rock, I think you also felt it with Cena and Punk that there was something real there. Like some of those promos that he cut was really to the heart of the matter when they were feuding of like you are a locker room, you know, cancer kind of a thing. Yeah. What Punk was leveling at him and it and it felt very real. Like that's another one where I feel like they're trying to get a little bit of that juice going you know but but again it's interesting because you have Cena saying yeah you're gonna beat the crap out of me but i'm still gonna win i guess it's a way to sort of make cena or 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 kind of put over reigns but it's it is weird if you're thinking as i'm thinking although it's certainly not a lock that reigns is probably gonna win then it does seem like a weird way to sell it you know what i mean like like to have him to have Cena lose like that, I don't know. It just seems a little bit backwards to me. We, we might have talked about this on the last episode, but um, I, I think it's worth bringing up. Do you think it's possible or even likely that because Ric Flair uh, is now left the company, this almost becomes their last shot at beating that record? Right. The, the, and, and for what it is, it, you know, WWE kind of like fabricated the record anyway, because the, the real count of world titles, I think, is is you could argue is is several more than that. But 16 time world champion, that's sort of officially what what's recognized. Flair now on the outs uh, in, in WWE and C- Cena tied at 16 times. Not a guy who's going to, you know, has wrestled much over the last several years. Um, certainly not for the world title, and who knows how many opportunities you're going to have in the future to feature him in a main event against the world title. Uh, does does that change things a lot? I mean, if it was assumed, as I think most people would assume, that Reigns was going to win the title, uh, you know, do they maybe now reconsider and say, look, here's our chance to make him 17. We could He can go and drop it right back to Roman Reigns uh, next month, but Ruth Flair's not building on that 16. I think um, there's more of a chance of that happening now than there was before Flair left. I will say that. I still don't think it's going to happen, or at least I think it would be really poor judgment. Because I feel like it's a, I mean, this goes without saying, it's a very petty thing to do for little 
Ward. Like, Reigns is really strong right now. He's as over as he's ever been. He's an incredible heel, but he's not untouchable. And I think having something like that happen could weaken him, and it could get him back into the spot where he's in, like, the, oh, get this guy off my TV kind of kind of deal. Like, he could slip back into that, and he's, he's made so much progress. And I think if Cena humiliates him you run the risk of really weakening him. And I hope they don't, I really hope they don't do that for a stupid petty thing. And I just want to say too, on the, on the flair front, cause I'm a huge flair fan. And I once interviewed him about all the world titles, the, the count of those world titles, it's not really WWE's doing. So that started in WCW actually, where they recognized him at the time he left the company, he was called a seven time world heavyweight champion because he had officially won the NWA and WCW title seven times that they recognized. There were a couple of like house shows overseas that they never recognized. So he went to WWE. He won two more, right? He came back and they started calling him nine time. And then they started adding on that every time he would regain the WCW title. And that's how they got to 16. So, I mean, like it's not really something WWE made up. He already was being called that. And the titles that are extra, because it's probably something like 22. I know Meltzer says a lot are sort of are things that happen, you know, in kind of like on the other side of the planet or in third world countries because they wanted to avoid a riot and then they never mentioned it on TV. So, I mean, the 16 number is pretty damn reliable. Just want to say that as a footnote because I'm a big Flair fan. So I wonder if they, they I mean, this would be petty kind of in the opposite direction, but if they do go and put the title on Cena and make him the 17-time world champion, does Flair stop? kind of acknowledging that it was 16 and start saying, no, I was whatever, 22 world, 22 time world champion. Uh, he so. might, I mean, they've never, you know, mentioned that before officially on TV, like that, you know, he won one in, in, uh, New Zealand from Harley race. He had one in, you know, he, he had to drop the title in Puerto Rico or, uh, or Trinidad, I think in an unscripted finish. Cause they were going to, you know, riot. And there were other little things like the midnight rider when Hart, when dusty Rhodes had the mask on, and they wouldn't let him keep the belt because he was wearing a mask. Like all these weird little footnotes, and then the belt would be returned to Flair. Like if you really wanted to include all of those, yeah, you could probably get it up into the low 20s. But it's never been officially done in WCW or WWE. They have never acknowledged those extra ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've mentioned Flair. You mentioned CM Punk. I mean, two guys in, in the news uh, a lot over the last few weeks um, with rumors of, of both potentially showing up in AEW sooner than later. Uh, Ric Flair, why don't you talk about, about what happened over the weekend with, with Ric Flair uh, at AAA? Yeah, so I, I watched Triple Mania, right, which is the, sort of the AAA's biggest show of the year, and, and I watched it after the fact because I had heard so many interesting things coming out of it, like they had a Marvel Comics-themed trios match. I felt like I had to see that. You know, you had De- Deanna Parazzo on there, and I was interested. But the main thing I had heard was you had um, Andrade and Kenny Omega in the main event, and that Ric Flair showed up unannounced in Andrade's corner. Um, and I didn't even realize this until later. I guess I'm a little slow on the uptake, but people were pointing out that Charlotte was in the front row for the show, like cheering on her husband or her fiance and her father. And they took pictures backstage and everything. It was a really bold thing for her to do but it also indicated to me more than ever that flair's gotta be aew bound i mean he's just gotta be i mean they, they had him for those that saw it the visual you had rick flair and kenny omega sharing a ring i mean that's a huge deal you had rick flair and kenny omega 
trading chops with each other. And even at 72 for Flair, that's still a big deal. I mean, um, it, it's just – and you had two – you know, triple – it may have been triple A, but you had two AEW, two contracted AEW talents wrestling for the world title and Flair involved. It almost felt to me like um, it was a prelude. Like I don't know how Flair, what Flair's non-compete is or what it is, but I have a feeling like, for example, it, it probably didn't include – appearances you know outside of uh, the united states i mean maybe that's how he was able to, to appear on tv for them or maybe it was because it was not a non-wrestling appearance but for whatever reason maybe he maybe he's in hot water with wwe who know who knows but he did it and um it was a big deal i believe somebody said it was believe it or not in all this time the first time that flair had ever ever appeared for a mexican wrestling promotion for a lucha libre promotion he had never wrestled for triple a or cmll ever so wow it's hard to believe wow pretty cool yeah 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 what could and and again maybe jumping the gun but but um you know all signs are, are pointing in that direction what could a rick flair mean to aew i mean what's the right role for him and um you know of, of all the proven tv ratings draws different makers rick flair's right there uh, at the top, do you think even at, at this age and stage of his career, he could be a difference maker? I think that a lot of I do. And, and I, I mean, he's not wrestling anymore. He's not going to be a difference maker in the way that CM Punk or Daniel Bryan will be difference makers or even or even, you know, or any, any kind of somebody that's going to be wrestling. But I think AEW is a company that treats the so-called, you know, legends of wrestling better than WWE. And I, I think for someone like Flair, uh, in terms of how he's going to be presented, I think it's a better place for him to be. I really do. If you look at what they've done with people like Arn Anderson and uh, and Tully Blanchard, for example, and Jake the Snake Roberts, I mean, taking them seriously, giving them important roles, not having them be clowns. You know, you're not having them go over your top stars. You know, you're not doing that kind of stuff, but you're taking them seriously. You're 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 showing the new talent being reverential towards them that's the kind of thing that flair needs because you know to a lot of the younger generation he just became this kind of clown that wwe made him into unfortunately and i say that as someone who really considers him to be the greatest of the modern era and i think if over there i think you'd see him reinvigorated again I, i'm sure they would really let him cut loose in terms of promos and really being the Ric Flair that we know and love. I would love to see him reunite with, I mean, Arn and Tully. You don't need me to, 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 to say that. I mean, that would be incredible and so much fun to see that. And so I think partly because, I guess, to Vince, he'll never really truly be a WWE guy. Like, he never got that treatment as a legend in WWE, at least in my opinion. Not, not to the level that he needed to be. And uh, in general, it's not just a Flair problem. It's the way that they treat their legends. Like 99% of them are just treated like jokes. They trot them out. They have them get beat up. They have them get emasculated and just sort of laughed at. And that, or, or it gets turned into like a circus sideshow with, you know, doink running around and the gobbledygooker. Like that's basically the way they look at yeah. wrestling. And I think Flair deserves better than that. So I, and I think he's going to get it there. Do, do you like him in the role of working with uh, Andrade? I mean, I don't know if that would be. That mean, um, you know, 
pushing Chavo uh, uh, to the side. It, it sounds like they've, they've tried different people, right? So they had uh, Vicky Guerrero at first, and then they shifted over to Chavo. Um, do you like Flair in that role? Is, is that something that makes sense? Well, he's never, I don't believe, well, he's never really been much in terms of a wrestling manager before. I mean, a little bit here and there. He worked with Miz and stuff. But I do think he would fit well in a role like that. Obviously, Andrade needs somebody to talk for him. You know, I mean, that I think I don't want that to hurt him in the way that I really, truly feel like it hurt Asuka. I feel like once she opened her mouth, it just became very, very hard to, especially in the WWE system, to make her seem as intimidating as she had seemed before. And I don't want that to happen with Andrade. And so I think Flair could pull that off. You know, he has. He's completely comfortable talking, as we all know. I mean, I think he could fill that role. I think there's so many things he could do. You could have him teamed up with almost anybody. I mean, could you imagine, you know, him with Jericho or him with uh, God? I mean, he could even take Don Callis's place yeah, with Moxley. I was just thinking that, that, yeah. I mean, not with Moxley, with Omega. That would be incredible, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other guy, obviously, that everybody's talking about um, joining and could be, you know, by the time you're listening to this, uh, it's it happened. Uh, CM Punk, he, he hasn't denied it. I believe they're in Chicago uh, on Friday. The expectation is that um, he's going to be in some kind of program with Darby Allen, who's essentially kind of been calling him out. Um, in 2021, you know, CM Punk in, in his 40s now off of TV for what's it been, seven years uh, I, I expect a lot of people will tune in to see it, but where's your, your confidence level in him being a, a, a big player, a difference maker? And, and what is the right role for him in 2021? My confidence level is very high for this, honestly. I think, you know, unlike some of these guys that are really over the hill and they'll bring them back and try to get something going – I feel like uh, even at his age, um, he can very easily be thrown right into the mix and people would buy it and people would love it. Um, you know, him coming back, I don't know how long it goes for, but I mean, like him coming back is sort of like when Hogan came back in 2001 to, to WWE. Like, yeah, he wasn't a kid anymore, but he, he, he had enough in the tank and he was still as recognized and revered by fans that you could do a lot with him for at least a few years and I, I think Punk has even more of an upside than that I really do I, I don't have the numbers in front of me but I'm pretty sure he's younger he's a few years younger than Hogan was at that time and I, you know he's he's been gone for so long which somehow in a weird way makes him fresh again he's not overexposed like everybody else He's never less left the consciousness of fans. You know, it's like you still hear his name getting chanted. And I think people are really, really, really ready for it. I think if you waited a few more, a couple more years, then you would get to the point where the majority of the audience may not even know who he was anymore. As crazy as that sounds, the way that the fan fan, you know, membership turns over. But I feel like we're not there yet. And this is the time to really strike. And I, I think he, I think he's going to really be a, um, a difference maker. I have some uh, concerns and, and questions about uh, CM Punk, and um, I, I'm, I'm ha I don't want to say proven wrong because I, I haven't drawn any conclusions, but uh, I, I hope he answers them uh, in, in uh, the affirmative. Uh, one thing is, you know, wh where is his – this is different than Daniel Bryan, 
who wanted out of WWE, or, or so the story goes, because he so much loves wrestling and wants to contribute and wants to work with all these different opponents that he's never worked with and is, is hungry to get in there. And I feel like the narrative with CM Punk is that he essentially had to be dragged kicking and screaming to come back to wrestling. And for all these years, everybody's kind of trying to, to woo him. And this is him sort of, and again, we could be completely, or I could be uh, proven completely wrong, but it feels like this is him sort of saying, all right, I'll come and <laughs> wrestle for you. And um, if, if that's the attitude, I mean, I, I don't know, where the commitment is, is this, I feel like CM Punk has spent the last seven years distancing himself from wrestling and I don't want to say trashing it, but, but also sort of, um, undercutting the significance of it in his life. I mean, I think when we've heard him talk in the last seven years, what you hear so much about, uh, so much from him is, um, you know, I don't want to talk about wrestling. I'm not interested in wrestling. Let's, you know, talk about hockey or MMA or, or comic books or whatever. But he really went out of his way over the last seven years to sort of make it clear that this was not his passion. Um, you know, that that he he is not synonymous with pro wrestling. And I think it has done a lot of things um, to uh, damage his brand a little bit. In, in pro wrestling. I mean, I think the, the UFC stuff kind of hurt his brand because he part of like kind of the punk gimmick was that he was so real. He was like, you know, this this Muay Thai kickboxer. So he wanted people to believe. And then you put him in, in um, an octagon. And he just got destroyed um, the, the couple times he did it. Uh, I think the stuff with, you know, the, the, the his whole falling out with Colt, Colt Cabana made him look really bad. So I, I just think um, this isn't the CM Punk of 2014, 2015, where he was kind of like the cult hero and all the fans um, looked up to him so much for standing up to the big corporate machine in WWE. Uh, it feels like over the last seven, seven years, um, again, I, I think his brand has taken a little bit uh, of a hit. I, I think we've heard and, and seen things from him that have... Um, I don't know, give me the impression that this is a guy with, with, with a pretty big ego. And uh, I feel like so many times we heard, I'm waiting for somebody to come to me with the right offer. And that's fine. I mean, from a business perspective, that's a smart thing to do. But I haven't gotten the impression that this is a guy who, uh, no pun intended, is all in. And uh, we'll see. And and maybe he's not now. And he gets in there. And, you know, he, he um the fans go crazy for him and he's in there against a really young, talented, hungry guy like Darby Allen and starts to come back to him because we know that there was a time where that was CM Punk, right? Where he was absolutely all in and in love with the wrestling business. And I think that was kind of, you know, that, that is almost like the, um, the, the blueprint for the modern wrestler is, uh, the, the young fan who just grew up falling in love with it and so committed to it. I mean, that, that's, almost like every headliner, but he was one of those original guys, you know, and uh, again, I think kind of became the blueprint for a lot of those guys and has moved so far away from that in, in the last few years that I think it, it'll be important for, he, he could, I hope he doesn't go out there a, a little too uh, cavalier, uh, a, a little too kind of like over it, all of it. And um, if he does, I, I don't know that they're going to get the return on the investment. So we'll see.
Well, I kind of think that you you take everything you just said, which I agree with, and you use it. I almost feel like that's where his strength lies. In a way, it gives you a way to you have these two giant names that are mostly with most fans affiliated with WWE, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan coming in very close to each other. And this is how you differentiate them. I mean, Brian's going to be the sentimental favorite, the guy you can't help but love. This is a guy that just wants to wrestle and WWE, you know, was not treating him right. He just loves to do it like he'd do it for 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 nothing. You know, whether or not that's true. I mean, like that's the, that's the image of Daniel Bryan, you know, just just this 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 incredible hardworking guy. And Punk is the guy who look, I think they turn him for exactly what you said of like walking in there and going exactly that. Like, I don't really want to be here. You know, I already did it all, but Tony Khan won't leave me alone. Like he tried to get me three years ago. I told him, no, the guy won't leave me alone. So I'm going to come here and I'm going to just, you know, basically kick everybody's butt. I'm going to just, you know, I'm a WWE guy. I'm not used to this Bush league stuff like that kind of thing. You have him do exactly that. And that's what makes him different from Daniel Bryan. And that's what keeps him hot to my, in, to my view. Anyway, use all that stuff. As, I agree. As, as a storyline, I think that works. My concern is that that's really him. And, 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 and if that's really <laughs> so him, I, I don't know if that affects him. I mean, what, what's the quality of um, his performance of matches if, if a guy is not completely invested? And again, I say this is all completely just sort of like speculating because in, in part, because he has been so secretive um, in the last few years, but but again, I, I one thing that even before all this talk was going on um, with with AEW is we it's been a long time since we've heard CM Punk express his his love what uh, for for wrestling and, and why he loves it. You know, he doesn't even seem like that much of a fan uh, anymore. Now there was um, you almost forget about it, but but there was the um, the the Fox Sports show, the WWE show that he was part of the the panel uh, in and that was kind of his first foray in a long time back into kind of the wrestling space. Uh, but even there, I mean, the, again, I don't know that he ever seemed completely dialed in. Uh, if anything, it, it makes me more concerned about where he's going to be because it, it did sort of feel like he was there collecting a paycheck. Uh, so we'll see. He there, he was there really, unless I'm mistaken as, as a Fox like, like he was being paid by Fox. Right. I don't think he was paid by WWE to do that. Yeah. I actually think that kind of hurt his brand, too, because um, he came back with relatively little fanfare. This was the return of CM Punk to, um, I, I, I guess you could debate whether or not it's WWE programming. It was WWE produced. Well, I don't know if it was WWE produced, but, you know, it was a WWE highlight show, and he was on it. And it just stopped feeling like a big deal after a week or two. Um, and I think WWE managed it that way on purpose for exactly yeah. that. Reason. They knew he wasn't coming back. They weren't, you know, he wasn't on their payroll. They didn't want to invest all this and make it into a big deal because they knew they, they would wind up looking bad. So they didn't, you know? Yeah. And some weeks he was there and some weeks he wasn't there. It right. was just all super kind of anticlimactic. And again, I think also kind of hurt the mystique. Yeah. He shouldn't have done it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a paycheck, I imagine. I think for and and again, the reason he did that, again, kind of goes to this theory. And and to him, it was not about working for WWE. It was about working for Spot, Fox Sports. And it was about, again, kind of feeling above it all. Now, the other thing that he's involved in is this uh, new star series, uh, Heels, which is about uh, a pro wrestling uh, and and 
even that cuts both ways. I wonder how much of, of this, whatever he's going to be doing with AEW, is essentially a vehicle to promote that. I don't know how much of being around wrestling again through that series maybe made him fall in love uh, again, kind of reignite that that spark. Uh, uh, so uh, we'll see. I, I, I hope we have. We know that CM Punk, a, a dialed in, invested, committed CM Punk, uh, is fantastic. I mean, really a, a Hall of Fame talent. Um, hopefully, we get that. He's, and there's also just the reality of him being many seven years older than when when he left. Never a guy who was cosmetically in great shape, um, you know. But but conditioning wise, could go. So is that conditioning back? Uh, we will see. Um, so uh, uh, Daniel Bryan get more up in the air. Uh, between the two, or are you more confident about one uh, or the other? I think Daniel Bryan would be a huge difference maker because here's a guy who clearly is, is in, as in love with wrestling as, as anybody. Yeah, and, and and he's more likely to stick around longer. I think I think he's 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 more invested. He's more current. You know, he's not because look, let's face it, it's been seven years. I mean, like I said last time, Punk's been gone as long as Bob Backlund was gone, and I mean, and I mean that. That's true. Oh, maybe I didn't say it last time. Yeah. Punk, when, when Backlund came back in late 92, he had been gone because he stuck around even for a few months after Hogan got the belt. He had been gone for maybe a couple of months, literally like maybe two or three months longer than Punk has been gone for. Um, and of course, when you're a kid or a teenager, that felt like ancient history right it makes yeah. you feel old i mean they might as well have told me ed strangler lewis is coming back <laughs> right like i i knew who backland was i mean I, I knew he was the champion and everything but it was like oh my god that was such a long time ago so it, it, so much it, was it, made of his age and and how old was he at the time he was i think like 43 yeah wow and they were trying <laughs> to they were comparing him to george foreman and all this stuff but you know the difference, of course. There, I mean, to me, there isn't a comparison because you know um, when when Backlund had his original run, you know, WWF was a regional company. He wasn't seen all over the country and all over the world. He wasn't, you know, he was known to the fans in the Northeast mainly. It wasn't like a punk deal where you know he 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 was a a full fledged global. WWE superstar and and fans all over the country and all over other several other countries know who he is and remember him. So it's something very different. But I still say Daniel Bryan is um, yeah he's the he's the better long term investment. I feel like um, there is definitely as as much as it's depressing to say there's probably a nice chunk of the wrestling audience now that wasn't even really watching yet when punk was around the last time. And that's not the case with Daniel Bryan, you know, because he was just there. So right, right. There's probably a little bit more of an upside with Bryan. I do, but, but I think over the long term, I think with punk, it's going to be a bigger splash to start off with the headlines and the buzz and everything else. But I think when you look back on it a few years from now, It'll probably be Daniel Bryan who you felt had more of an impact, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, in, in on the week that and I think this is the story, on on the week that WWE um is getting ready for one of their biggest shows uh of the year in a giant football stadium with about as big a match as they could possibly uh, put on, featuring two of the biggest stars of the last twenty years. This is what a lot of people are talking about. They're talking about Ric Flair. They're talking about Daniel Bryan. They're talking about CM Punk. They're talking about AEW. Um, 
do you think this is registering with Vince McMahon and, and how important is it that they get a win here? You know, it, it really it really feels like SummerSlam this year is particularly important for them in terms of just creating some buzz. Yeah, I think this is affecting them a lot more than than they let on. I mean, they're really good at that. And Vince is really good at that. Like, you know, they talk constantly about the threat of WCW and the Monday Night War and everything. They talk about it now. But at the time it was happening, they were trying to make them into a joke, too. And they were trying to say they weren't much of a threat and that, oh, well, uh, our competition is all entertainment. You know, that's what they were saying back then, too, even though behind the scenes they weren't thinking that. And I think that's a lot of what's happening right now. They, they don't want to give AEW that rub of saying, yes, there are competition. And I do think there's still a vast divide between the two companies because WWE is much more of this integrated multimedia powerhouse with this kind of cultural cachet that AEW doesn't have. But, but this is how things change. This is how things yeah. begin. There's already stuff I was reading in The Observer about how Warner Media that owns they don't know AEW, but they own TNT and TBS. They are so impressed with AEW and their performance that they're going to start investing in in them and in helping them to transition and cross over and do more multimedia things and do more like TV shows and, and comic books and products and things to compete with WWE. So this is how these things get started. It really is. So, and, and, I, and I do think, look, I, I know Vince is, is getting up there in years and there's rumors as to how much control he has. But, but I really believe that, that he, knows what, he knows the deal. He knows what's going on. All you have to do is look at the wrath of God that has been brought down on NXT in the past few weeks. Yeah. And if yeah, you don't I, know what I, that is, I mean, that's pretty obvious why that is. Even Triple H himself is not safe from the wrath of God that is coming down right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could talk another hour about that, but but it's incredible. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, you talk about uh, just kind of a, a vote of no confidence. Yes. Uh, that, that, that that's what we've seen in NXT in the last few weeks. And in the meantime, I mean, also touching on, on what you said about um, a Warner, we saw Rampage uh, debut on Friday, um, by all accounts, a, a success newsworthy people loved it you got christian winning the, the impact uh, a title awesome show uh, yeah a, a, a fun fun show um an hour long you know we we talk about that also like that kind of the right length for a wrestling show so not overkill we see uh, uh cody and brandy getting their own uh, spin-off reality show on tnt so yeah i mean it's very much feeling like this is a, a big big brand you yeah, know a real competition this is a transitional moment here. Like this is like, this is like a little bit of a turning point that's happening. I feel like I'm not saying it's irreversible, but it feels like one of those moments that you look back and you go, when did this really become a fight? When did yeah. AEW really become a force? And people are going to say right now, right? Yeah. We're, we're right now. Yeah. And that's why it's interesting. This, you know, SummerSlam beyond just being, um, you know, a hot show and a loaded up card, really, you could look at as kind of their, response to that and and you know uh how what do they see as their best counter uh, attack and uh it's goldberg <laughs> it's roman reigns and john cena um you know there, there's some good some bad there uh but i you know you look up and down that card i mean there there are some prospects that you could be excited about um, for it's going to be a, a very impressive looking show because yes. you've you've got the giant stadium 
This is, believe it or not, this is the first time they have done a stadium for SummerSlam since Wembley in 92. 92 yeah. So, you know, it's going to look really cool, no question. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, fun time to be a wrestling fan. Uh, Brian, thanks so much. Uh, we uh, always appreciate you joining in here. Uh, we'll probably be back after SummerSlam, especially if there's big news coming out of it, to break it all down. Uh, right now, let's throw to uh, my conversation exclusive here on the podcast. You can read more in the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It is the editor and publisher of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer. What's impressive to me about Tony Khan, and I mean, not everyone is like him, and he's very, you know, obviously he was lucky to have a father like he has, which was, which, you know, obviously nobody else could have done it without that kind of a father. It couldn't have been done. But people with a father like that in that same situation, 95 to 99 out of 100 would have, would have bombed, and he didn't. So that's saying something for him. Um, but it's, it's still, um, you know, it's it's just a, you know, thank God, because the greatest thing, and I, and it's funny to me because so many people resent the change, but to me, the greatest thing in wrestling is that there's real competition um, out there. And also, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's like, you know, the, the, there's more jobs for wrestlers because of it. There's higher pay for wrestlers because of the competition. It's the great, there's, there's more variety for fans. You know, fans will always complain, I don't like WWE, I don't like WWE. Well, now you've got... You know, you actually got thanks to the the internet. You have a million alternatives to, to WWE. If you don't like it, I, I always would say this: if you don't like wrestling, um, if you don't, you know, it's like there's there's something somewhere for you. If you want to watch shoot style or serious style or whatever, there are companies out there for you. Um, if you look at it, because there's um, you know, there's so many companies, and it's not even like. Um, you know, before, well, there's only a few, and I can't watch them on TV. It's like you can watch everybody. Yeah. In in the in the with the push of a button, I can watch Revolution Pro from England. I can watch Progress from England. I can watch WXW from Germany. I can watch, you know, um, Australia. You know, Melbourne Melbourne um, Championship Wrestling from Australia. And I find like things entertaining me in every one of those things. I wish I had more time in the day, and there was more than 24 hours in a day. And I could watch all of the great wrestling that we have all over the world. I, you know, I feel fortunate because I grew up, I grew up in the seventies and eighties and I would read about everything, but I couldn't watch everything. And then, you know, you would, um, you know, when we first started Georgia championship wrestling, or I would get the programs from St. Louis, I was like, man, I, I would have given anything to be able to go to St. Louis or go to Madison square garden. Although MSG, we actually did start getting to see in the late seventies on cable. But go to St. Louis, go to the Omni in Atlanta, go to the Bayfront in, in Tampa or Miami Beach, um, you know, even Portland. You know, I, there would be these cards and these programs and everything. Like, oh, God, I wish I could see this. I wish I could see this. And you couldn't. And I was like, when I get older, when I get older, I'm going to have a job and I'm going to go out. I'm going to fly to Atlanta on Friday nights. That's what I thought when I was a kid. It's like by the time I got older, there was no reason. Vince had everything. He was bringing, right. he was bringing the same stuff to San Francisco that he brought everywhere else, so I didn't need to go anywhere. <laughs> but, and WCW, I traveled some for WCW, but uh, you know, it, it was, but it wasn't the same thing as, as when it was WWF and WCW. That feud it was really two companies, and then ECW, um, you know, became the third. But with, um, you know, in the territorial days when you had all these, it was a completely different flavor of wrestling everywhere. 
you know, I could, the first time I went to Memphis Live, God, it was so fun and so great because they had a completely different attitude towards wrestling. And it was funny because so many people in wrestling always look down on Memphis. It's like, oh, it's bullshit wrestling, blah, blah, blah. And I would watch the TV and I would be highly entertained. And then when I went to the show, it's like, God, these shows are great. I don't know what, like, everyone's complaining about their action. The fans love them. They get big crowds. This is back when they were doing big crowds. So yeah. it's like, um, you know, if it works, it works. I mean, I, you know, you go out there, and I was out there once at the Mid-South Coliseum. There's 8,000 people on a Monday night. And it's like, dude, you know, like, don't cry about this stuff. This stuff works in its territory. Because you've spent so much of your life watching wrestling, writing about wrestling, um, do, do you ever look back and think, um, you know, where's my life gone <laughs> kind of thing? And any regret about committing so much of your life to it? Because I imagine that's come at the price of, of a lot of other things, you know, spending time with, with your kids or, or traveling that's not wrestling related or, or anything else, finding other hobbies or, or reading books. Or do you look back on all these amazing matches and trips that you've taken to people that you met and say this was a, a life well lived? God, you made me feel old. Um, <laughs> I, I never, I do not regret anything. I mean, I regret, you know, I regret things I, I've written and things I've said on, on rare occasion. But I mean, the life I lived, I have zero regret for the life I've lived. Are there things that if I could script my life, minor changes? Of course, everyone has that. But um, I, I felt... From the 80s, you know, from from the late 80s, certainly, even though I, I started this in 71, 72, but from the late 80s, I kind of just like when I was growing up, it was like I was always going to be a sports writer. And I thought I was going to be, you know, the, the, the like the big columnist in the local paper live in San Jose. I'd be the guy I'd be. Because I had a you know really in, a lot of interest in all sports, so because of wrestling, I have not been I do not follow all sports, and I so there's a lot that I've given up that I would enjoy. But in the late '80s, I kind of was like, okay, I mean, I didn't choose wrestling; wrestling chose me. But I'm happy it did, and I don't. I mean, I don't regret it at all. I have had so many wonderful memories and stories and met fascinating people and it's an amazing industry i mean there's a lot of negativity to it and there's a lot of stuff like like anything you know if you're a football writer and you go back and uh you know you're you're you know the stars from the 70s and you come in and they have cte and these were you know henny stabler and john mackey and these guys right and and you're going back it's football that caused this you know or boxing is even worse i mean i know all kinds of older boxing reporters, you know, Ali was a heartbreak, right? He was like the, the guys of the guy. And then look at how he ended up. And you, you and you can't go in there and go, oh, he would have gotten it anyway. It's like, I mean, some people will say that. Oh, there's always people with excuses. We all know boxing did that to him. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, um, Bockwinkle in wrestling, that was a hard one for me with Nick at the end. Um, you know, you know, even like in the last week with Terry Funk and Orndorf, um, yeah. um, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a heartbreak, and you have to look back, and it's 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 very very sad that the repercussions of this, in some cases, can be what they are. It's it's you know, but as far as like, yeah, I don't, um, I I I got to be, I got to do more, write more, um, success beyond any any 
if you looked at, you know, like, like I feel like Jericho, you know, in some ways where I'll sit there and go like, when I was, I, I got to do what I wanted to do as a kid, but I was so much more successful at it than I ever thought I would be. I just thought I would, if I could do it, it would be great. And, and it would have been, it would be great if I just could do it. But they ended up like, you know, being able to, to do that. And, you know, my kids are, you know, well, whatever, they're going to be fine forever and things like that. So it's just, um, it's been good. It's been really good. I mean, as far as, um, yeah, of course, you, of course you miss out on things. I'm trying not to miss out on as much, now, but, <laughs> yeah. but, and I really, uh, um, but yeah, you know, it's like you, you can't do, um, you know, 15 to 17 hours a day, almost all on pro wrestling and MMA and, and not miss a lot of stuff. Um, it's just, those are the choices, you know, and will, will like, you pull back? Will you pull back at some point? I mean, short, short of, of retiring, um, do you think there's a point? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, could yeah. you, or or do you think? I mean, would you be able to downshift like that, or or is the reality as long as you're doing this, you, you're going to have to go at it, you know, all in the way? No, 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 no. I've already, you know, um, no. I mean, I have, I, I mean, wrestling aside from aside from my kids, wrestling was always my priority, um, mm-hmm. and wrestling is my job now and it is it is it is my priority it's a priority for sure it's like it's not like i'm going to miss a pay-per-view or anything like that i'm not going to be out of touch with wrestling because if if i'm not in it to a pretty significant level it will pass me by because it passes everyone by right. i mean i i learned the lesson from watts you know and and you know he watts was a freaking genius when it came to wrestling and he came back didn't watch it for five years came back and was like I didn't even realize how much the business had changed because I'd been in it every day, but talking to him, it's like the business has changed and it's going to be when, when he came to WCW, it's like, I knew, man, it's like, I was wishing WCW would hire Watts because he was such a great booker. And then when he came in, it was immediate to me. It's like, he's booking for, you know, booking with the idea. It's, it's the mid eighties. And I love the mid eighties. That's the funny part of it. And some people, you know, will look back at his era and go, Loved that, but it didn't work, and there's a reason it didn't work because it's not the mid '80s anymore. Everyone's got their, you know, if you don't keep up, it, it, it's like it's like um, if you don't keep up, you're you're not gonna, um, you know, you, you won't be able to do it well. Like if I if I spent said like okay, I'm gonna take a year off. If I came back, man, it would take me a long time to to be to, to be under to fully understand. So I I, I can't afford to do that. Um, it's funny because um, one of the smartest guys I know in wrestling is Mike Tanay. And Mike Tanay has nothing to do with wrestling. He's retired. I mean, I'm not saying he'll never come back because it's wrestling, but, but, and he watches everything, you know, and I talk to him as much as I can and, and, and he's still smart on everything. And I, I learn something from him as, you know, as he does from me every time we talk, but it's fascinating to me because we're both, he has no, you know, he has no reason to watch everything, but it's like, he's devoted his life since, since he was 11 to learning wrestling and, and he's not going to let it pass him by. And I'm, I'm not going to let, you know, I'm not going to let wrestling pass me by. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. But are there some changes? I've, I've dealt with this over the last year. Do you see some of the changes in fans um, sensibilities and their tastes and feel so removed from them that you don't want anything to do with it? I mean, the, the one thing that comes to mind is um, the stuff with the fiend, 
the Firefly Funhouse. I, I was live tweeting WrestleMania last year, and I remember writing, and I try to be careful with these things. And when the Firefly Funhouse came match came came up, I thought sort of like I'm okay here saying this is garbage and everybody will agree with me. And I was just assaulted by fans who loved it. And to me, that was kind of a turning point for me. This is thinking, always going to be well. I can't. I, I don't connect with these people anymore. I try to learn from them, but but you also like like look. I do a poll every single week on what people like and what people don't like, and if it varies greatly from from my opinion, I try to learn from it. And it's like like it, Twitter's a weird one because you're going to get the negativity no matter yeah. what. I, I learned this funny thing. So so this has nothing to do with wrestling, but it was like just a lesson that I learned like two weeks ago. So so I grew up with a girl who's now a woman, she's a couple years younger than me, who is now one of the experts in the world on China. Um, you know, in, in Biden's cabinet, I think she works with Biden, you know, and all this. Absolutely brilliant woman, okay? And um, and I, you know, she was back when, when we were kids too. And I, and I, you know, so so anyway, um, and, and I knew she would be su- successful at something, but I didn't realize, I had no idea, you know, it's like someone, I never kept up with her, I had no idea what she was doing, and then I'm watching CNN one morning, and there she is, and she's talking, and it's just like, uh, she's over my head, so it's like, okay, I gotta find out what she's up to, and then I studied, and it's like, oh my god, what an impressive, what an impressive woman, right, you know, like, freaking genius, like, genius to a high-level genius, not just regular genius, she's genius to a high-level um, almost intimidating to me because it's like her books, her books are better reviewed than my writing. And it's just like, I'm not even the best writer on my block. I thought <laughs> I was like the best writer in the history of my school and one of the best in the history of my college, you know, cause I'm always said that. And here this girl on my block actually has better reviewed stuff. So, so it was kind of, this guy's kind of funny, but, but the point is, is that, so I, I was studying her stuff. And then I would read the reactions and it was the same kind of reactions I got. And it's like, like I know because I know how smart she is that these people going like, Oh, you don't get it. You don't know it. You don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, I know that she was smart at a level that very few people I've ever met in my life are. And she's getting the same stuff I, I do. So it kind of really hit home. And I remember DeFord would get the same stuff I get. And mm-hmm. DeFord was the greatest sports writer of my life. You know, and he was, I was lucky. He was a friend of mine, but he would get, I remember, you know, Oh, Frank's senile. Frank's this. Frank's that. He's just wrote a brilliant article, and you're going to call him senile because he's seventy. It's just like <laughs> so. So it, it really hit home. So like I, 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 you know, like that stuff. That stuff you're going to get no matter what, and that's not indicative of anything. That's that's weak people who, um, you know, that they're just looking for attention or whatever it is, or just you know, bitter people because they're not successful in life. I mean, that's what most of them are. So that's you got to look at that that way. But I mean, as far as yeah, people are always going to have different tastes, and um, you try to cater to it. But, like, there's stuff. Like, sometimes, like, where Brian on the show will go, like, oh, you know, I hated this, I hate this. And I always go, like, you know, I didn't like it either. But we got to wait a couple weeks to see, like, what what the stats say. Because if 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 they're hitting on something new that we don't like, we got to learn from it. You know, it's like um, the Heyman line is, what works, works. We're not here we're not here to pretend something that works doesn't work. Okay. If we don't like it, you know, and, and, and you know, it's like, it's like we're, if, if it works, you try to figure out why it worked, learn why it worked. Don't try to go, this didn't work when it's obvious it did. I think that's when a lot of the older, I think this came from, 
84, when a lot of the older promoters were like, you can't have a world champion like Hulk Hogan. He's too big. He only goes 12 minutes or nine minutes or whatever. Remember all that? I mean, I don't know if you remember that, but that's what people yeah. say. But, yeah. But, you know, all the older promoters, like, it's flash in the pan. And I'm going, like, people go crazy at his matches. He's drawing big. No, is it my favorite kind of match? Would I rather watch a Ric Flair match? Of course I would, you know, because it's more dramatic, blah, blah, blah. But I can't deny Hulk Hogan is, like, one of the, you know, greatest two or three greatest draws in the history of this entire business and that it's not working. So learn why it's working, you know, and it's just like in the 1980s, people wanted that superhero baby face. He was perfect for his time. He was exactly, you know, the, the greatest thing that could have happened because he freaking carried, he carried that company in ways that people today don't understand or perceive because today they don't, um, there's, there's nobody like that. You know what I mean? Like, like even Cena at his peak was never like that. You know, the um, Austin was, was like that, you know, where if you pull him out, business goes way, way down. When if you bring him back, business goes way, way up. You know, Austin was like that. I think Dwayne was like that to a degree. But Hogan was like that. You know, you know, Bruno San Martino was like that. He was another one. You know, those guys are people today sometimes like, why didn't they ever, you know, why didn't they ever beat Bruno in those eight years? And it's like, you don't get it because you don't mess with what's working. You know, people now, right. why didn't Orndorff get a win over Hogan? Why didn't they put put Orndorff over for the title. And it's like, you know, it's not like it wouldn't have drawn Hogan chasing Orndorff, but the gimmick was that Hogan was this superhero that nobody could beat. And until Warrior came, you know, yeah, they did the Andre thing, but that was because Hogan was doing a movie and they had to get the belt off of him. Um, and, and even with Warrior, he was doing a movie then too. But it's like, it's like you don't, the whole lure of Hogan is just that he's someone that you count on and he's always wins. Like with Bruno, all the kids that grew up with Bruno, it's like, except for the Ivan Koloff match, you know, he, you know, for years and years and years, 15 years, he never lost. And that's why he became this mythical hero to a generation of people, you know, because, because of that booking, you know, if he had been a guy who had won and lost and won and lost and won and lost, yeah, he'd still be remembered as a big star, but not at the level that he's remembered as now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I agree, and I, and I also repeat the thing about if it, if it works, it works. But I also think that there's sometimes there's limits to that in as much you could push something too far where it's not even recognizable as wrestling anymore, right? So I, I, I said you could go and put on hardcore pornography in, in, on your television show, and it's going to draw ratings, right, because people want to see it, uh, but that's not wrestling. And I, I thought that some things that we saw over the last year with the cinematic stuff, you know, with, with Bray Wyatt, with the, the Firefly Funhouse match, it got to the point where this is just not recognizable as wrestling anymore. Uh, but obviously some people disagree. I mean, do, do you think there's some middle ground there? And, and can you accept that as the evolution of wrestling? I mean, if it gets to be the most popular version, I'm going to have to adapt. But yeah. um, I wasn't, I'm, you know, again, I think Bray Wyatt's a brilliant guy, but um, I was not a fan of, of most of his stuff. Occasionally I was, but most of the time, I mean, the, the, the Firefly Funhouse itself, some of the skits, um, I didn't mind those. Uh, I didn't love them, but I didn't mind them. Um, but some of the, when it got to the real supernatural stuff, right. I was saying with Lucha, Under, with the, with Lucha Underground, I don't, uh, um, I don't, I think that that's a direction there's going to be people who love but I think that it's going to, it's going to be, it's also going to turn off a lot of people like Lucha Underground. I loved so much about Lucha Underground, but I hated so much about Lucha Underground. And in the, in the end, it never really grew past a certain level. And I think that there was a reason for that. Um, because I don't think that the average wrestling fan wanted 3000 year old, 
people and, and people <laughs> flying in space and all the stuff that they did that I think worked, you know, against the phenomenal action that they provided that people don't even really talk about because it got so wacky at the end that um, it's like if, if something is so wacky, you, the good stuff is just remembered as part of the wackiness as opposed to the groundbreaking good stuff that, um, you know, they did deliver in the ring. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Well, I've kept you for like an hour here, Dave. Thank you so much. I, I won't take any more of your time. You were good enough to invite me to, to uh, vote on the Hall of Fame a few years ago. Um, so uh, a, a big fan of, of yours, your, your writing, your journalism, and a uh, real honor here to talk to you. Thanks. I appreciate it.